0: Name. Amen. So this is our final spiritual urban legend. This is number 10. And so this will be the last week of uh, the last week of this series. And, uh, you know, as, as we've been talking about these things, I just want to kind of frame it in for our last discussion and remind us that it's we're talking about these myths within the within the church, within the Christian culture and the Christian world that have gained traction and and things that have been presented as truth but they're not truth and they've oftentimes been accepted as truth but it's not truth and so maybe throughout this series you've been challenged in some ways because maybe there's some things that you held on to as being truth but once we once we held it up to scripture it couldn't hold the test it couldn't i want you to think about this i want you to think about y'all remember the show mythbusters y'all remember that and so, it's, you know, you, you have these myths in life and uh, and MythBusters they're like, hey, we're, we're going to actually take these things head on. We're going to challenge these myths and we're going to see if they can hold up if they're actually true. And some proved to be true and then a lot proved not to be true. And so what we've done is we're not coming in here and sharing our opinions or our ideas or what we consider to be true or what... No, we're holding up the Word of God and we're measuring these spiritual urban legends by what Scripture teaches. And what we're going to find tonight is that it's another spiritual urban legend that cannot stand the test of Scripture. And so we're going to, we're going to unpack, uh, unpack our last uh, spiritual urban legend together um, but before we do, I want to dispel another myth because this is this is a great myth, and we need to talk about this before we uh, before we move on. If you remember two weeks ago i was uh, I was preaching, and we were talking about the the spiritual urban legend that God brings good luck. You remember that, and I told you how tony and and Matt are always giving me a hard time, and how they 're always saying that you know that I got the Midas touch, that instead of my truck depreciating, it appreciates. And, you know, it just gets newer every year instead of getting a, a year older. And everywhere I go, you know, it sunshines and rainbows, and everybody buys my lunch. Colby actually had lunch with us Sunday, I mean Tuesday, and he's the only one that somebody bought his lunch. It wasn't me. But here's what I want you to know. The, Tony was supposed to preach tonight. Okay? And the topic that we're going to handle, it is clear evidence that I don't have the Midas touch. Because we're going we're to have a conversation about something that, uh, you know, that is not a fun conversation. And I, a lot of times people will, will push back from that. And so we're going to talk about hell tonight. Yay me. Okay? And so this was not, this was supposed to be Tony. He has laryngitis. Okay? laryngitis. So this whole Midas touch thing, I just want you to want you to know the myth has been busted because I somehow end up with, you know, being able to have this wonderful conversation. Um, but here is, here's spiritual urban legend number 10. Here it is. If you have your listening guide, you can, uh, your hand out. you can grab it. Dead people go to a better place. Now, isn't this going to be fun? Isn't this going to be fun? Not only that, it's this uh this idea that that most dead people go to a better place. Like there's this idea within culture and just within if you, you know, one of the things I didn't I guess I should have realized this, but when I went into ministry, I went into student ministry and I'm thinking I never thought I would go to the amount of funerals that I would go to. And so when you go into ministry, like you spend a lot of time going to funerals and you learn a lot. And so a lot of the funerals that I've gone to have been at this church and the leadership at this church does a really good job of handling this well. Um, But, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll show up at you'll go to another church for a funeral or you'll show up at the funeral home and uh, just anybody's doing the funeral. And there are a lot of things that are said that are um, they're very dangerous in, in what they're communicating. And so we want to make sure that we're communicating truth and that we are understanding truth and accepting truth uh, for the way it is. But here's the thing. Most dead people don't go to a better place. That's not fun to say. I don't enjoy, you know, I don't enjoy saying, but that's what Scripture teaches. That's what, you know, how do I know that? How can I say that with absolute clarity? Well, that's what Jesus says. Jesus was extremely clear on this subject. And, And I wanted to lead out with this passage of Scripture because I want it to be what we build a foundation of everything that we're going to talk about tonight. It's got to be built on this passage of Scripture right here. So what does Jesus say here in Matthew 7? He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I want to read that one more time because this is the, the thing that's going to catapult us into everything that we're going to talk about tonight. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter, by it are many. What that means is is that most people don't go to a better place. That's that's what Jesus is saying. Most people are not headed to a better place. There's a few. There's it's a narrow road. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow way for those who are entering into uh, life. And so when you read the gospels, what you see is is that you see that Jesus talks about hell a whole lot more than he talks about heaven. I challenge you to, to go home and read through the Gospels. And one of the things that you will find is you'll find that he, he talks about hell a whole lot more. He describes hell vividly. He gives great explanations as to what hell, very little as to what heaven is, is going to be like. I put, on your, I put on your handout, I put just some scripture references. These are a handful of references that Jesus makes about hell. Uh, just to the point that, look, Jesus was clear. Jesus talked about hell, and he talked about hell because he cares about his creation. The the most unloving thing that he could have done is not talk about the reality of hell. Because he makes a way so that we don't have to encounter hell. And the most unloving thing that he could do is to not tell us about that. But here's what we know clearly about Jesus. We know through Scripture... Go home and read those hand uh, those references I gave you. Go home and read through the gospels. We know that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. And hear me when I say this: it was not like, nah nah, nah, you're going to hell. It was motivated by love and compassion. That was the motivating factor for why Jesus uh, explained the reality of hell think about this. Think about if, um, if you went to see your doctor and you were ill and you were having all these problems. And so they started trying to figure out what's going on. They run a bunch of tests and come to find out you had cancer. And so you have cancer. But look, there's a, there's a cure. There's, it's not, you're not stage four terminal cancer. I mean, like you're stage one. There's a, there's a cure. There's a path to like, you, you with me? And, and your your doctor, if they genuinely care about you, the most loving thing that they would do is they would explain your diagnosis. They would tell you that you have cancer so that you could then receive the cure and be healed. That's, that's loving. That's what we do when we care about somebody. The most unloving thing that, that the doctor could do is to know that you have cancer Know that it's going to ultimately kill you. Know that there's a cure and tell you nothing about it. You, you with me? Because a lot of times we think that, hey, when we start having this, because let's just be honest, I told you, this is an uncomfortable conversation. And the, more, the, the further we go down this road, the deeper we get into this conversation, the more uncomfortable it's going to get. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? But the most loving thing that we can do that Jesus could do is to to talk about the reality of of hell, so that we can then understand the fullness of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's what the good news is and what he's saved us from. Amen. All right, it's motivated by love and compassion, and I want to begin with with this statement too. I want you to know that I want to be really clear that uh, that I don't take any. Any joy in having this you know this conversation this isn 't uh, this isn 't fun for me hopefully uh, the things that we 're going to talk about tonight do not come across as being is um, being insensitive because because here here's here 's why and, and like I said, this is going to make more sense as we go along but there are, there are undoubtedly people in the room who have taken great comfort in Believing that someone that they deeply love and care about is in a better place. But Scripture would have something different to say. And so, like, what do we do with that? And the goal for us moving forward is, is that we can stand on truth. Because here's, here's the truth and here's the reality as we unpack this. What we believe has profound impact on what we do. What we believe determines what we do. And so we want to make sure that we're, that we're doing the right things. And if we're going to do the right things, we have to, we have to believe the right things. And so we need to have this conversation. There, there are, there are uh, you know, one of the, one of the greatest blessings is, is when you go to a funeral and it's somebody that you know loved Jesus with everything that they are. Like there, like there's just something special about that. And when you have those, like we can truly just sell it. Like they loved Jesus They lived for Jesus, and there's no question about it. You don't have to second guess. You don't have to wonder. Like They gave their life to Christ. They've been transformed. They've just lived their life of faith out uh, and making a difference in this world every way that they could for the gospel and for Christ. That's awesome, and that's amazing. That's not every story. And then there's there's also, like, like just for instance, this past week we were able to, to celebrate the life of Paisley. And to know with absolute assurance, to know that she's in the presence of Jesus. And to have the assurance that God gave in that moment, just just a short time before the accident. And there are those moments where we just celebrate and we don't have to wonder and we don't have to question. And we don't have to do mental gymnastics and we don't have to do spiritual gymnastics. And we don't have to try to come up with all these ways to try and make it fit what we want to believe. But... There are times where A plus B doesn't equal C. And we're trying to sort through this thing. And in order to get to the, to, to the answer that we want, we actually have to do some mental gymnastics. We actually have to do some spiritual gymnastics. We have to do some things so that we can come to the conclusion that we ultimately want to... Because we want to believe that everybody goes to a better place, don't we? We specifically want to believe, and this is where it gets hard because it's fine when we're talking about somebody else's loved ones. Agreed? When we're talking about our loved ones, then then it's a different story. And we want more than anything for the people that we love and we care about to be in a better place. Agreed? Okay, so let's let's just sort, let's just sort through this because there's danger in, in believing that most people go to a better place. There's danger in communicating. A lot of times what happens is as Christians are trying to be encouraging and they communicate that, hey, well, they're in a better place or they're no longer suffering. And what we're communicating is something very, very dangerous. And so we've got to be very, very careful about what we say. Now, uh, if you want to start a little miniature riot or a major riot... Then here's what I want you to do at the next uh, funeral that you attend. I want you to just raise your hand and ask for the microphone and ask if you can have the microphone. Then stand up and tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Don't do that. <laughs> don't don't do that. But but the point is is like you know what I mean? Like there's we have a um especially in our culture and I want to be clear again Don't ever do that. Okay, there's a time and there's a place for conversations. I can remember, um, and I'm not, you know, this isn't a funeral conversation. But I can remember there was uh, when I back when I worked at the fire department. I can remember there was a guy that God had placed on our shift at our station, uh, but he went out a lot too. And so, um, man, we had invested in him. We had poured into him. Like we spent time just really trying to just present to him just what authentic Christianity is, and we had invested a ton. And he goes out to another station, and he goes to a station where there's this hellfire and brimstone. Uh, Christian very legalistic and uh, and I mean they're just shoving you're going to hell down his throat and he comes back to the station and he's he's mad he's ticked off he's like I don't want nothing to do with this Christian junk and he's like you know what I'm saying and so like we want to be very careful there's there's a time and a place that we want to be loving and compassionate the same way that Christ is loving and compassionate and so we don't want to have conversations with people at funerals. Like that's not that's not what we want to do. We don't want to stand up with a microphone and do that. But I'm just telling you, if you did that, like you're gonna be you're gonna be ridiculed. There is going to be a riot on hand. But it's important that we have correct correct theology. Uh and, and I say this to say, um, I guess my point is this, is that uh we have certain unwritten rules at funerals, and so what we, we have a tendency of doing, like, number one, we want to you know, celebrate the life. We want to uh, celebrate the memories that we have of, of our loved one or our friend or family or whatever it is. Um, and when we do this, a lot of times we like to remember these unique qualities about people that we've had in our life. And sometimes that's easier than others. Let's just, let's just be honest. Sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes we have to get really creative and so I was thinking today, you know, whenever you're having a conversation about the, your weird cousin Eddie, you know, maybe your weird cousin Eddie is described as inquisitive and fun loving. You know, it's like, well, they're always just seeking out fun. And you never know what they're going to do. And you, you know what I mean? Or maybe uh, hot headed Betty. I thought about hot headed Betty, uh, who maybe had the, the tendency to um, run over people. With her words and with her actions, and she's described as being feisty and passionate. right See we have a way of presenting things. we have to get creative uh, in, in talking about their unique qualities, or uh, mean old Mr. Larry, who you know maybe the description is is like uh, he really had a sensitive side, and those who really knew him well were able to see that. you know, those who really knew him well, but the rest of us. The rest of us, you with me? But there's this this way where we have to, uh, you know, present. We present uh, people in our lives on a positive side, especially when it comes to when it comes to, to funerals. Um, but here, and, and I, I'm totally okay with that, and here, you know, none of us are perfect, and we all have wonderful qualities, and we all have qualities we wish we were different, and you know, that's the truth, and I have no problem talking about that because here's the thing, somebody's going to have to make something up nice to say about me too, okay, <laughs> but, but the, the point is this, here's the problem, the problem I have is when someone who is wicked is described as being in a better place, that's that's the problem I have. Or, here, let's just, okay, we have no problem with that. Wicked Harry, we, we can't say Wicked Harry is in a better place because we know that's not true. What about the sweet old lady that lives next door who wouldn't hurt anybody but would never bow the knee to Jesus? Right? What about what about um, maybe a, a co-worker or... Um, the morally upright person who, I mean, they never even had a speeding ticket, but they never knew Christ. You, you see what I'm saying? It's like we got to, you know, we, we got to wrestle through these things together. And the one thing we know is that there's only one way to heaven and his name is Jesus. thats That's the only way to heaven. It's it's through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and and it's that alone. That's why Jesus says. And and, and again, in our culture, and, and specifically the culture today, like we pull back from this this inclusive culture. I talked about this um, about a month ago. Like this whole you know inclusive thing. Like we want to just include everybody, but Jesus Jesus is very clear. And these aren't my words or my opinion. Jesus said. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is the world, like, if, if people aren't, if, if we don't t- embrace this inclusiveness, then it's offensive to the world around us. And that's the way in which it's, that's the way in which it's seen. And there's also this great pressure to offer. For, for somebody who's doing a, a funeral, I'm just telling you, there's this great pressure to offer, like, this funeral assurance that that they're in a better place. And I'm grateful. Uh, and maybe, maybe the only funeral you've ever been to is, is here. Or maybe the only funeral you've ever been to is in a place where they handle this, handle this well. But that's not not always the case. And I I will say that one of the like I, I can brag on the leadership here. Like, you know, if we don't know that they're in a better place, we can present how you can be in a better place. But we're not going to give assurance of something that we don't know to be true. We can't do that. That is very, very dangerous. And so we've got to be careful not to, not to do that in order just to simply make people feel feel better. I mean, it has a nice ring to it. It sounds good, and we want it to be true, but it's not always true. And there is a real hell. And going back to what, what Jesus he He talks about this plainly and clearly, and so what we need to understand is that there's a real hell, and it's not the devil's playground or a perpetual party that's not that's not what it is if If it was then the good news of Jesus wouldn't be this good news and so if it's good news then then there's this idea and this if we're going to have this conversation about salvation and this need for being saved then we have a need for being saved from something. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, and so there's a penalty for our sin. There's a a problem. There's this great chasm between us and God. We've got this problem. And the good news is is that Jesus made a way for us to to know him. And to my point earlier is that people really don't have a problem. um, People really don't have a problem with this when it's somebody else's loved one. People don't really have a problem. Uh, it's way easier to see and to swallow when it's somebody else. Does that, does that make sense? And so, the closer it is to home, the more people tend to to justify. And there's numerous ways that people do this, but one of, the, I guess, the primary way is. Um, See, the way we should filter everything, and I've mentioned this not too terribly long ago too, but the way that we should filter everything is that we should read Scripture. We could approach Scripture, see what God's Word clearly says, right? Then we should discern the, look at the situation, filter the situation through the Word of God, and then discern what's going on. But what happens is the closer we are to the situation, the closer we're, the more we're affected by the relationship, then what happens is, is we approach the relationship and we allow the relationship, we filter the word of God through the relationship instead of the relationship through the word of God. Okay. And so we got to be very careful. Perfect, perfect example. I just was, wanted to give you an example so we could just be, all get on the same page. Okay. So somebody we love and we care about doesn't go to church. I know that's none of us because, I mean, all everybody we know and love goes to church, okay? But let's just, hypothetically, somebody we know and love doesn't, uh, doesn't go to church. Well, we know what Scripture says. Scripture says, it's on your handout, 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So in 1 John, what John does is he's trying to help God's people have assurance of salvation. And he's laying out some evidences of faith. And so he talks about the fact that if, if, you're, uh, if you're a believer, then you're going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You're going to uh, have conviction of sin in your life, and you're actually going to follow the commandments of God. And then one of the things, one of the, the big three that he uses is that you're going to have love for the brethren, that there's going to be biblical community in your life because you're going to care about other believers and you're going to love them. That, that all people will know that we're his disciples by the love that we have for one another. John is saying, hey, love is going to be a defining mark in the life of a believer. Or in Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so here's my point. Scripture is really clear about the importance of being involved in corporate worship, being involved in biblical community as it being evidence of the fact that somebody is a follower of Christ. But when it's somebody that's close, it's like, yeah, but you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a believer, right? Would you agree with that? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And so we start doing these mental gymnastics and that's true, but somebody who loves Jesus is going to desire to be in biblical community and corporate worship with other believers. That is one of the most defining marks of a believer. But we'll start doing gymnastics to try and work our way around and find a loophole to arrive at the destination that we want to arrive at. And we do it all the time in all kinds of different ways. And so when it comes to this conversation, specifically when we're having a conversation about the different ways that people will justify these are some of the, these are three, three specific ways that I thought about as I was preparing for this. That nearly, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, how people will go about justifying that most people end up in a better place. It's, um, it's really determined, I think, by, um, I don't think people intentionally go out trying to set out to do mental gymnastics and all these things. I think it's really depending on how close people are to the individual. And like I said earlier, you know, when, when somebody genuinely loves Jesus and you see the fruit of that in their life, like, that's not what we're talking about. But for those who didn't clearly follow, oftentimes what people use is they'll use a different set of standards as opposed to what Scripture, what scripture teaches. And so what we want to do is we want to use what Scripture teaches. But what are, what are some of the key uh, common ways that people go about justifying? Let's talk about the nod. The nod. The nod. And this is evidence of a brief nod to God somewhere in the past. Okay? A brief nod to God somewhere in the past. Now, what do I mean when I say that? What are we talking about? Well, in, in and what, what we're talking about is fact, and it doesn't, matter, uh, it doesn't matter how casual or how short-lived or how spiritually fruitless. So what does it look like? This, this nod to God somewhere in the past. It looks like, oh, well, they walked an aisle when they were, they were a kid. They, they prayed a prayer. They asked God to, to save them. Maybe even uh, they, were, they were baptized. A lot of times what this looks like is it looks like we're, we're pointing to an event instead of a, an ongoing relationship with Christ. And so when we're pointing to an event or having information about God, oh, they knew, they knew God. Okay, okay. They believed in God. Well, Scripture says that even the demons believe, And so it's pointing to a relationship. But a lot of times what happens is, is we start talking about this knot and we think, okay, well, it's really about an event. It's about walking an aisle. It's about signing a card. Well, there was a time in their life when they were going to church. Like they came to church for a while and then, you know, they were hurt by the church. They were burned by the church. They were um you know they they had other things they moved they this they and, and so like they're no longer walking this out and so there's these things that took place at some point in the past and so we hold on to those things so that we can have comfort in thinking and believing that that they're in a better place but that's not what that's not what scripture teaches and and, and what happens for people is is that'll give people all the confidence they need to believe that they're in a better place. And, and uh, Matt and I were having a conversation yesterday. We were talking about baptism. But um, it led to the conversation of the sower and the seed. And you start thinking about the sower and the seed. And you know the, different, the four different seeds that fell on di- four different soils. And ultimately at the end we come to the conclusion when Jesus explains this parable. What he's saying is it's like only 25% fell on good soil. That's what he's saying the the whole wide and narrow conversation that we started with he's saying hey for some the enemy came in and snatched the word before it took root in their heart and for some it, difficulty came difficulty came and and they they bailed or the cares of this world the things in this life they just they became more important and so they they went off after those things and 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 but but will still people will still hold on to the fact that that they signed a card, that they prayed a prayer, that they walked an aisle, that they got baptized, that they were at one time in church, that they were. I told you all this was going to be fun, right? Okay, I promise we're, we're headed somewhere. We're headed somewhere. Number two, number two, it's virtue. It's a life of basic morality. Well, they were a good person that they were really generous they were generous with their time they were generous with their with their money they were you know they were family oriented they really cared about people they're best neighbor they were this they're they're good people they're good people and so this virtue and this moral moral individual so we convince ourselves and if we can't uh, find any arrows you know pointing to these then what we we have one more card to play and it's the good heart the good heart card and so we'll play the good heart card. And so even if there's no evidence of anything, we'll, people will um, convince themselves because you know they had a, they really had a good heart. They just they just got sucked into the wrong crowd. They really had a, a good heart. They were just dealt a bad hand. And and so we can justify this thing by saying that hey, well. Well, they had a good heart. I know they didn't actually do anything that we're talking about, but it really was just due to their circumstances and it was things that were outside of their, outside of their control. And so try as we might, and, and in order to find comfort and assurance, we do have to do a lot of times these mental gymnastics. And we may find comfort in the moment, but it's bogus. And it's totally at odds with Scripture. And that's what we have to, we have to understand. And so we need to understand that finding peace or offering encouragement based on a nod to God, sincerity, or a good heart is very dangerous territory. It's dangerous because we're communicating a message that is not in line with what Scripture, what scripture teaches. Imagine, um, imagine a star quarterback is injured in a football game and he comes in to see the doctor and the doctor takes x-rays and uh and he's he's got a broken leg compound fracture and so it's clear as day I mean it's clear as day because you can see it's broken but the x-rays there and so the doctor reads the x-rays and he comes in and he tells the 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 star quarterback and the family and the coaches in there and he tells them hey he's going to play next Friday he's going to be fine he's going to be good now that that may make everyone feel better in the moment Agreed. Like that, that's probably, oh, like there's hope. Like they're really, like he's going to play? That may make everybody feel, mo- everybody feel better in the moment. It may bring some temporary comfort. But here's the thing. He's not going to be on the football field Friday night. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. The only football game he's going to be playing is on his PlayStation. That's the only football he's playing. Like it's not happening. He's not going to be on the, on the football field. And so we have to understand some things when we're having this conversation. We've got to understand eternal destiny isn't determined by where we wish people would go. Eternal destiny is not determined by where we wish people would go, nor is it determined by where people say they went, nor is it determined by what the pastor says at the funeral. Their lives tell the story. Our lives, our lives tell the story. And so what we know is, is that our eternal destiny is determined by whether someone places their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what determines. And we have to measure by biblical standards. And the evidence of this is found in the fruit of our lives. See, it's found in people who follow Jesus, belong to Jesus. That's, that's the way this conversation works. In Matthew 7, Jesus makes this point. I mean, over and over again, like I said, these aren't my words. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who what? does the will of my Father who is in heaven? That's what Jesus says. And so here's the myth behind the myth the myth behind the myth and we would you know most christians would won't say this but this is the myth behind the myth that that all roads lead to the same place despite what jesus said that all all roads no matter what path you take and so if it's you know if it's the, the your neighbor that's a wonderful lady who would never harm a flea the or you know the really moral person who's a great person but doesn't ever, you know, never even had a speeding ticket but never bows the knee to Jesus like all roads don't lead to the same place they just don't it would be foolish to foolish to believe that most Christians know that this doesn't fit with what Jesus said but when it comes to real people that we know and that we love a lot of times what people will do is is people will create their own theology in order to believe what they want to believe. And we do this all the time. And we do this all the time. So here's my question. Here's where I wanted to frame everything in. Because now it's like, okay, well, what does this mean? Because... You're raining on my parade. You're making me really feel really bad about this or that. You know what I mean? Like, this is not a fun conversation. Well, remember that the reason why Jesus has this conversation with us is out of love and compassion because he cares deeply about us and he cares deeply about the people that God has placed in your life. Like, he cares. That's why we're having this conversation. But why is this so important? And it's simple the cross and salvation are central to the gospel. And if there's no hell, then there's no need to have this conversation about Jesus and the cross and, and Christ. And like there's no there's consequences and there's side effects to believing this myth. There are consequences and side effects to believing this myth. So what's what's the consequence? Well, here's the consequence. It eventually devalues the cross, redefines salvation, and turns obedience into extra credit. That's what it does. It devalues the cross. The cross is of no significance, of no importance, right? If there's no reality, absolute reality of of hell, it redefines salvation and obedience just becomes this thing for like the really serious, the super Christians, the ones who have the super Christian capes. Obedience is just optional. Well, that's not what we that's not what we see in in Scripture, And this is harmful for those who buy into it. But understand this. It is just as harmful for those who never hear about Jesus because we've bought into it. And that's a dangerous place to be. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. So here are some of the side effects of this spiritual urban legend. Number one, evangelism becomes irrelevant. Think about it. Think about it if most people go to a better place, then there's no, there's no sense of urgency in sharing the good news of the gospel. Why in the world would people step out and tell people about Christ if most people go to a better place? It doesn't make any sense. There's no sense of, of urgency. And so I just started looking at some statistics as I was getting ready for this message. I started thinking like, okay, well, you know, how bad is it? So here are just some of the things that I found. Uh, only three out of ten unchurched people were ever told about Christ and how to become a Christian from their, uh, from their Christian friend or family member. Only three out of ten. They had, they had a Christian in their life and only three out of ten had somebody actually tell them about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were right there. They were in their life. They were They were present. It's not like, hey, they never came in contact with a Christian. They had Christians in their life and only three out of ten said that, hey, somebody actually told me about what it means to become a Christian. All right, here's another one. Somewhere around, now this is shocking, but depending on which study you look at, but around 90% of Christians have never won a soul to Christ. Around 90% of believers have never, never had any impact in leading anybody to Christ in their entire Christian life. One of the things I found today as I was doing some reading is like Generation Z, Gen Z. um, And I don't don't find this shocking because I spent so many years in student ministry. But over 50% of Gen Z Christians actually believe that it's wrong to share your faith. It's wrong to evangelize because it's offensive. Because of the inclusiveness of the culture in which we live in. And so, you know, it's like just relative as to you know what you believe is is right, and what I believe is right, and you're free to believe what you want to believe, and you know what I mean. And so we can't we can't push that what we believe on other people because other people are free to believe what they want to believe. But over fifty percent believe it is that not only should they don't they're not sharing their faith, they believe it's wrong. That's shocking. There's also a huge shift, almost twenty five percent in the last decade or two, where. Uh, where Christians in the church believe it's no longer their responsibility to share their faith. It's, it's the church's responsibility. It's the, it's the professionals that stand on the stage with microphones attached to their faces. But it's not our responsibility. It's the church's responsibility. And, and meanwhile, Jesus tells us to go into all the world. Like, he tells us. He tells us to shine, In this world, he tells us like all these commands, and and and, but the truth is, is like there's this shift uh, in our culture, and it no longer is Matthew twenty eight where he says, "Go into all the world and make disciples." It's it's become it's becoming more and more optional instead of a command. This this is listen, this is not a book of suggestions. This is not a book of suggestions. But what happens is, is we don't see the urgency. What happens is, is we buy into, okay, well, you know, I can remember a time when they gave a nod. And I know they're not really walking it out, but they gave a nod. And so we're not going to have the difficult conversation that Tony talked about several weeks ago. We're not going to step out and do those things. We're not going to, you know, in in sharing our faith and having these difficult conversations, it's no longer about, you know, hey, this, this is worth dying for. much less stressing a relationship uh, over. And so the biggest roadblock is no longer a fear of loss of lives or jobs or families. It's fear of embarrassment, rejection, and looking dumb. And so people, Christians, people in the church will remain quiet because there's there's no sense of urgency. And it makes sense. Stop and think about it. It makes sense. If they're going to heaven anyway, then why would I step out? Why, why would I risk embarrassment? Why would I risk not having the right answer? Why would I risk the, you know, losing the relationship or being rejected? Why would I risk those things if most people are going to, to a better place anyway? And the truth is is hey we we have lives to live and if everybody's doing okay spiritually then I can go on with my life and I can just do my thing and I can build my kingdom and I can you you see what I'm saying and I can make sure that I have this and I'm doing this for my family and I, and so we can go on and we can make we can make everything about us see God has placed you in the neighborhood he's placed you he has placed you at the job he's placed you he he places you in people's lives all the time, as you come in contact with people all the time, like He's placed you there to share the good news of the gospel. Yes, you're going to you're going to get a paycheck, you're going to have a place to live, you're going to have all those things, but it's so much bigger than just about us. It's so much bigger about us, and like we've got to we've got to understand that there are people around us, there are souls at stake. That, that eternity is in the balance for people that God has placed in our life. And we can't buy into the fact that, hey, they're okay. They're okay. It matters. We've got to, we've got to be who call, God has called us to be and do the things that God has, has called us to be. And I also think, too, I think that what happens is when we buy into this, and like I said, it makes perfect sense but see, when we buy into this, then we can show up to the funeral and we can, we can excuse our disobedience of not, of not sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ by telling ourselves that, hey, they're okay. They're in a better place. They're no longer suffering. And so God has called us. We have been given the good news and we are ambassadors for Christ. And we're to take this good news to the world around us. That is what God has called us to do. And that is a that is command, but it is an unbelievable gift and an unbelievable privilege. You know what breaks my heart? 90% of believers will never lead anybody to Christ. And I thought about that today, and, and I almost literally broke down in tears in my office man, what are we missing out on? What are we missing out? Like we have, we have been given an unbelievable opportunity to participate with God to make a difference, not just in this life, but for all eternity in the lives of people around us. And we so often get sidetracked on other things. And so many Christians will miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Honestly. All right. And then number two. Side effect of spiritual urban legend number 10. It undercuts obedience. Because when, an, when a nod to God is all it takes, then everything else is just extra credit. It's just an add-on. That's for the spiritually elite. That's for the ones who are really like, you know, the ones who go above and beyond. But it's not for everybody. But that's not what we see in Scripture. And that's not we Jesus, Jesus doesn't see it this way. Think about this. Think about when the rich young ruler uh, comes to, to Christ. And, and if you're unfamiliar with that story, you can read it in Mark chapter 10. Here's one of the verses in that passage. So you can go home and you can read that. But um, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what, what must I do to have eternal life? And so him and Jesus, they start engaging in this conversation and they start talking about the commands of God. And he says, Hey, I've held all of those since from my from my childhood. I've done every one of those. And then Jesus makes a statement. He says, What? He says, and Jesus, now remember the whole conversation that Jesus is honest with us because he loves us. And so he's upfront about these things because he cares deeply. And so and Jesus looking at him, he loved him enough to say the hard thing because he knows that sugarcoating it or just sticking his head in the sand like that's not the way it goes and Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me so what Jesus didn't do is he didn't give him a A prayer to pray. He gave him a command to follow. He said, hey, I want you to lay down your life. See, this is your God. Money is your God. And that's just his thing. Maybe that's not our thing. That's his thing. So he's saying, hey, this is the thing that's keeping you from from me. And so what I want you to do is I want you to lay that down. And I want you to lay your life down and surrender to me. And I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And then what did Jesus do? He stepped back because here's the thing. He stepped back to see what he was going to do. He stepped back to see, okay, what's he going to do now? And the man says that he was unwilling, that he left sorrowful because he had many things, many possessions. And so he's like, I can't give this up. And he, what he misunderstood is what he was gaining was far better than what Jesus was asking him to, to lay down and to leave. But Jesus, in that moment, doesn't say, "Oh no, okay, okay, okay." Like, let's just get your salvation out of the way to make sure that you're good. Let me get a nod so that you can we can leave this whole conversation. I know what I'm asking you to do is. It's difficult. Maybe we can work that out. I understand like you have a lot of things. And Jesus, do you ever see Jesus chasing anybody, begging them to follow him? Let me answer that for you. The answer is no. He's like, okay, I'm telling you what it is. I'm laying it out there before you. This is what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you, but what you're gaining is so much more valuable than what you're losing. Now, it's up to you. What, do you. what do you want to do? But this is what it looks like to be a genuine follower of Christ. So don't believe that anything other than this equals genuine follower of Christ. you got to lay it all down. This is what it looks like. And so he, he, doesn't, he doesn't go chase them down. See, because he understands. Jesus is making a, the clear point for us is that obedience is the defining mark of a believer. And we can we can paint it however we want, and we can chase whatever loophole we want, and we can like we can do those things. But when it boils down to it, obedience is the defining mark of a believer. And does that mean that hey, uh, every, and some of y'all are thinking, man, I don't even know if I'm saved? <laughs> like, but the the point is this: it's like, hey, is a Christian going to be perfect? No. It, does it mean that we're not going to to make mistakes? That we're not going to fall into sin like no none of us are perfect the the goal is not perfection there that was the goal jesus lived it we're not going to achieve that on this side of of eternity that's not going to happen and so what we do is we lay down our life and we allow god to we work with god and allow him to transform us to transform our lives to sanctify us and grow us more into the image of christ but but the opposite side of this conversation is is that when someone uh specifically and intentionally sets up their camp in the land of disobedience. Listen to me. This is the difference because none of us are going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. Ask my wife. She's sitting right in the back. She'll be glad to tell you that I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But when somebody intentionally sets up camp in the land of disobedience and then they stay there and they defend their life of disobedience, the Bible is really clear about where, where they stand. And and Jesus is very clear because he loves us and he wants us to be able to, you know, we had that. Remember the, the, the whole conversation? It was one of the myths. We talked about um, judge not. It, and we get told over and over and over to like we should, we should, we need to understand where people are. Like we need to have a good understanding of the fruit. Tells us the story of, of one another's lives so that we know what we're dealing with. We don't, we don't hold unbelievers to the Christian standard, what we want to do. They don't need to follow our rules. That's not the goal in this. Like, okay, well, these are people in my life and now they need to follow my rules. No, people need Jesus the same way that we need Jesus. And so we want to just point them to the one who's able to change them and transform them from the inside out. And so, according to the Bible, we see that, hey, that that this life, that setting up a camp in a land of disobedience and staying there and defending that stance in that place, it's not what we see in Scripture. That's not the marks of a real Christian. That's not what Christians. It's not what Christians do. You've never uh, you've never heard of this verse at a funeral. I laughed today, so I almost cried today in my office, and then I laughed in my office because I thought, this is not a passage of Scripture that you ever see uh, here at a funeral. 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Probably not not something we're going to hear at a funeral, but it's true. And we see this over and over. It's a common thread in Scripture. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You will obey my commands. Obedience is a defining mark for someone who who loves Christ and someone who is following him. And Jesus makes the point. He says that truth the truth will set you free. So, for those who accept and live by this uncomfortable and unpopular truth, and let can we just pause for just a minute? I knew how quiet it was going to be in here tonight. <laughs> like I uh I have been I, I prayed specifically for you know for me that you know again, like I said, i don 't want to come across insensitive I don 't want you know everything that's being communicated here tonight is done um, really with the motivation of love that that we will respond uh, rightly to to what the word of God teaches, but it's it's hard it's difficult because we are touched by lives. There are people in our lives right now that that maybe we've been doing some mental gymnastics. And then if we take an honest look, we're like, okay, I know they used to go to church. There was a time. They grew up in the youth group, but they're no longer, okay? Or maybe we just, I don't know your situation. I don't know the people in your life. But the point is, is like maybe we've been trying to convince ourselves and we realize, okay, like I've just been trying to, I I just, I don't want to, I don't want to accept what I really knew deep down to be, what I really deep down knew to be the truth. And so let's just admit and embrace the fact that this is uncomfortable and it's unpopular and it's hard, it's hard for us, and it is offensive, you know what I mean? Like it, it, we talk about inf- uh, being offensive in a, in a culture of uh, being inclusive and like it, it's offensive, the, the gospel in and of itself. Now we don't want to be offensive, we don't need to add to the offensiveness We don't need to go around telling people like the people at the fire department, like, you're going to hell. Like, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The gospel is offensive, though, that that we're broken, that we're separated from God, that, yeah, we can convince ourselves that we're good people based on maybe comparison to other people that are far worse than us. But when we compare ourselves to a holy and righteous God, When we compare ourselves to to Christ, then we realize just how far we fall short. And that's why Scripture teaches that all fall short of the glory of God. That there are none that are righteous, no, not one. And that's offensive. You You can't earn your way to salvation. You can't do anything good enough to earn the good graces of God. That only Christ can do that. And it's offensive, and it's hard, and it's uncomfortable, and it's difficult to have these conversations with people that we love. But... How in the world, like, if, if, you're, if you're in the doctor's office and you have cancer, what do you want the doctor to do? You want him to be honest. You want him to care enough to say, hey, you have cancer, and you're going to die if you don't do something. But I have some great news. There's a cure. There's a cure. So we understand that it's uncomfortable and it's unpopular, It's way easier to justify and find loopholes. But we also know this, that when we embrace this uncomfortable and unpopular truth, the cross and salvation return to their rightful place. That evangelism becomes an important priority yet again. And obedience is a defining mark of what it means to love God. When we embrace the truth, when we embrace the reality of this, the cross and salvation return to their rightful place. See, there is really good news. There's really good news. There's only one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. But let me tell you, he brings hope and he brings healing and he brings change. He brings purpose he brings satisfaction. Like we're surrounded by people that are ch- constantly chasing. Like and and you know that's that's all of our stories. If you're a Christian, like you were you were chasing after something, trying to find satisfaction in something else, trying to find hope in something else, trying to find healing in something else, trying to find meaning in something else, trying to find trying to find what what you were intended to find in Christ in anything other than Christ, and then you encountered Christ, and everything changed. And then he said, hey, good news. You get to take this message into all the world. And guess what? Most people aren't going to a better place. So every single day of our life, we're going to encounter people that don't know Jesus, and you're going to get the opportunity to share this unbelievable story and the glory of the Savior of Jesus Christ. That's what we get. And so let's not try to explain ourselves out of like the greatest opportunity before us. Let's not do that. And so I know it's kind of a Debbie Downer, but the point is, is like, hey, we get to take the good news of the gospel to the world. We get to share that with our children. We get to share that with our neighbors. We get to share that with our coworkers. We get to share that with, with the people we're discipling. We get to share that with the visitors that come into this church. We get to share, we get to share that everywhere we go. But when we just buy into the fact that, hey, everybody's going to a better place, then we won't, there's no sense of urgency. There's no, nothing that's going to cause us to step out, to do these things, to take advantage of those opportunities. And let me just say, it is an unbelievable opportunity. Don't settle for less. So many people settle for less. Let's not do that. Let's not do it. Let's not settle for less. Let's, let's be who God created us to be. Let's do what God created us to do, to do. And let's just be a part of what He's doing in this world. All right, let me pray, and uh, and we'll be done. And then if you look, if you if you if you're wrestling through some things, some of the things we talked about tonight were maybe difficult to hear, and you need to have a conversation, or maybe you've never embraced, like you've never surrendered your life to Christ. As we're talking about the nod to God and all these different things, and maybe morally you realize, wait a minute, I've never experienced this for myself. It's time I, I surrender. It's time I surrender to King Jesus. And so if you need to have a conversation, I'd love to have that conversation with you. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, God thank you for the difficult.